back to what you were just saying, Jordan, if you are not pausing your day to focus on, um, you know, what do, what do we always say? We always say the, um, the mechanic drives the worst car, right? <laughs> like take care of yeah. yourself, put the mask on yourself before you put it on anyone else. And you'll end up finding that your business goes a lot further. You'll help and change a lot of people's lives um, a lot more consistently. You'll bring a lot more sustainability to your business. Um, and I don't know if you found this, Jordan, but really scheduling and implementing these things brings a lot of peace. When you're in the service industry, literally, you're providing a service to people, right? Um, you know, so, I mean, emphasizing things like communication is sometimes essential, right? Um, from a project management perspective, if, if you're not talking to your clients, if you're not keeping them up to date where your project's at, if you're not giving them things like Gantt charts or you know, documentation to help them, it's only going to cause anxieties. Uh, so many decisions that so many companies make. It's like, uh, nope, sorry, that's our policy. That's And like, I hate hearing that. I absolutely hate as a consumer. Uh, what my customers feel like if constantly it's just policy this, policy that, you know, what's in it for me as, a, as the business? No, they mm. want to know what's in it for me as a consumer. So... Welcome back to the Challenge Tunity Podcast. I'm Chris Lawson, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Wolf, who thinks every dog that is less than 50 pounds is a cat. Jordan, how are you doing today? Well, that is true, because um, only dogs are large dogs, but ooh, in the comments <laughs> below, I just started a fire. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. I am a little, uh, got a bit of a head cold, so if I sound a little off, that's... Uh, nature doing its thing through my body, but, uh, looking forward to our conversations today, but you look good. So that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. And you realize your comment didn't just add a bunch of comments. We probably lost 50% of our viewership. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. All those small dogs slash cat people. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I have a medium sized dog who is just around that 50 pound mark. So I don't know. Depends on how much he eats that day. He'd be a cat or not. Um, yes. Well, hey, Jordan, we got an interesting show today. Um, we have some pretty interesting topics. I mean, obviously, we want to talk a bit about business modeling. Um, that's something that is, um, I'd say, more on the business leader side of the world that we live in, but um, very, very relevant, I think, on the marketing and sales side as well. Um, and, you know, frankly, it ties into operational excellence. We'll be talking a bit about that. We have a, a guest going to be joining us later. Um, Matt Rudolph is, um, a, a, I don't know, he, he's kind of a bit of everything. He's a bit of operations, a lot of sales, a lot of process. He kind of takes a bit of an engineered approach to uh, automations and things in his business. So uh, Matt Rudolph, who um, will be joining us later, is going to be touching on a ton of the topics that we're going to be talking about at the beginning of our session. So um, I know it's a, an area he's passionate about and probably an area that um, we won't be able to get him to shut up about. So, you know, hold back your questions, Jordan. We'll just let him roll. <laughs> Excellent. Run, we'll run out of uh, videotape, right? Is that how these things work? Still yeah, on videotape? We're yeah. doing everything cool. on tape. Yeah. 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 Um, well, let's, let's dive right into it. You know, um, before we started, you know, putting together the topics for today. I, I actually went the opposite direction as we normally do. And I actually had a, a real cool dinner with Matt 
and we just started getting on this I don't know this this rant about you know problems that we're seeing around the market and problems that we're seeing in our own businesses and how we've solved some of them and it kind of just got us into this topic of operational excellence which maybe sounds fancy but it's it's really simple I think it's just as simple as you know having a spirit of excellence with everything that you do but um you know Jordan I'd like to kind of throw it over to you like how how do you view operational excellence is it is it something that that is just a one-off topic when you set up a business or is it something that is you know you evolve it over time like where's your stance on it well, I think over time, th- this is something you have to continue to work on, whether it's a small business, a large business, a you know international, <laughs> huge corporation. You're always working between your model and a customer. You're trying to solve a problem, but the problem you started solving on day one probably isn't the problem you're solving on day 1000. And needs and market that you're competing in is always constantly changing. So how you approach those challenges is fluid in itself then there's just improvement. So making changes over time makes you better, makes you more competitive, makes you you know, a better value for your customer. Uh, there's lots of different models for doing this. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about some of them like lean a little bit later, but this is uh, a big part of what it is to manage a business or manage a department. Yeah, I mean, ultimately you don't start with the idea of, I want to have operational excellence. You're usually starting with a goal and ambition, you know, whether it be, I don't know, trying to focus on your attrition rates or, you know, trying to increase revenue or, um, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, but those, those goals start with, with an overall business model. Obviously you're, you're seeing that there is a challenge in the market, a problem that you need to solve a product. Maybe that's going to I don't know, flip the world upside down. Maybe you're inventing the television, who knows, or electricity. But, um, you know, one of the areas that I've kind of always felt in the service industry that um, has had a massive impact in our business is streamlining process. And streamlining process can be very different for every business. I know for us in a service-based agency model, um, streamlining process can be as simple as automating tasks that are mundane or come up frequently, automating those can save you a ton of time, let alone things like eliminating roadblocks or bottlenecks, you know, giving, giving all the attention that you need there. Um, but for us, workflows have been a very important part, whether it's from project management, your sales process. And, you know, back to what you were talking about a moment ago, Jordan, is it's not just fixing them and leaving them. It's also about refining them touching base on them, reporting or measuring them and making iterative changes um, and seeing where those go and then making iterative changes to that, you know, next step. Yeah. And it's also important to balance out, you know, it's really easy to fall into the trap. Like if you just view business as a money machine that, you know, you focus all your effort on making it more, you know, increase my margin, increase my margin, decrease my cost, you know, make more money. While that's great and you should be encouraging that money is, you know, part of running a business. Otherwise we wouldn't do it. But the other side to it is adding value, being more effective, being competitively a better product than everything else that's out there mm-hmm. on the market. So if you only focus on that other side, you eventually lose that other battle. The, um, <clears throat> in like our business, we've focused a lot on not just the steps that take to deliver our, our service, but also the people that are needed yeah. to do that. So you know, do you have specialists? Do you have generalists? Do you have people here or there? Yeah. You know, what part of the process do they add their value in and to what degree? 
Well, I think it's it's important that you're talking about people because you know when you're in the service industry, literally, you're providing a service to people, right? Um, you know, so I mean, emphasizing things like communication is sometimes essential, right? Um, from a project management perspective, if if you're not talking to your clients, if you're not keeping them up to date where your project's at, if you're not giving them things like Gantt charts or you know, documentation to help them, it's only going to cause anxieties. It's only going to cause the, pro the, the problem that they have to grow. We often say, you know, when there's a bee in the bonnet with a client, you know, getting that bee to disappear doesn't mean that you'll never have it come back, right? It's only going to take one more problem to come up once again down the road for that B to come back and, you know, for that client to remember the painful experience that they had before. So, um, you know, communication, I think in the service industry is very, very important for operational, um, you know, excellence. Um, but, you know, forget the client side, like internally, you know, from management down or staff up or, you know, horizontally, um, like Jordan, you, you can talk about this more than anything. I mean, you know, collaborative work, you know, in the service industry is also very important and a big part of operational excellence. Yeah. Obviously we have uh, some of our staff in, in an office. So having people overhear conversations and, and be part of that process is, is one aspect with that kind of organic communication, but there are real points where you need to you know, set into your process at stage X, you do, you know, steps one, two, three together with this specialist or that specialist to encourage like both collateral value between the two individuals, but also moving that value back across to the customer at key points. Um, internal communication is often in the service of external to some degree. Like we, we do talk about, um, you know, when we're delivering value in different ways or we're trying to refine our process, sometimes we get really clever about it and we can be really efficient by doing something, you know, quickly or finding a, a software solution to a problem. If the customer doesn't see that or is not aware of it, then is, is it really value that's been added at that point? So there's a bit of like stagecraft communication as well, um, you know, making sure that they're seeing the things that are being done, even if that's not operationally ne necessary to ha make it work. And that can be true within you know, your own team networks within a company too. So you want to see, you know, the people around you are doing good work and you want to see that value progress through the, the company. And so if they've found a way to save time or be more efficient, that is important to even um, kind of distribute that through the company. So the company across, you know, other people doing similar jobs might benefit from that in the same way. And you just become much more efficient or effective as a company. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, at the end of that process, you're going to be providing that end service, which it could be as simple as, I don't know, being a plumber and fixing a pipe, or it could be you're providing an actual service. In the case of us, you know, we're prevent, pr providing, I don't know, results through an ad or organic search or producing a website or an app or whatever the case might be. Um, optics are everything. So if, if the end result is great or not, if they can enjoy that process throughout, you're only going to have better retention. And most likely those individuals will be promoters of your brand as opposed to retractors or even just neutral. Um, you know, but talking about that end result, um, you know, everybody wants to produce quality, right? Um, but we don't always implement a quality assurance, um, whether it be a stamp of a, like a stamp of, of quality or a process um, those standards can, can be very, very, very important throughout the entire organization or ultimately to the end client. Um, 
Jordan, what's your take on, you know, quality assurance and culture? Have you ever well, thought of that? I think there's, yeah, there's, there's a part of this that you'll probably have more insight. Uh, <clears throat> because basically you, you are what people say you are, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're doing great things, but nobody knows about it or, and nobody is communicating about it, then you're not really doing anything that anyone else can see. So it's, it's like, you know, the field of dreams, you know, if you build it, they will come. That's not true in marketing and it's not true in business either. You do need to be able to build around what you do, some sort of visibility, whether that's recognizing through good work reviews or being visible in the sense of your social media presence and, and how people communicate you with you <clears throat> externally or of you externally. Um, and then of course, internally, you've got, you know, uh, hiring culture, you've got all these types of things that, that play a role and your operational focus and ability to deliver quality is kind of separate from that. It does need to be kind of reinforced and make sure that that's part of what you're paying attention to and encouraging. Um, there's more technical elements to this that get into, you know, how, how you measure these things in the long term, like NPS, et cetera. Maybe, maybe you yeah. can kind of get more into that side. Ooh, the world of NPS, uh, net promoter score. Um, I mean, typically you see NPS, you know, in the world of things like IT, you know, um, or, or in any kind of industry where, you know, the second that, you know, a, a cycle has been completed, they're asking you how you did, whether it be a one through 10 rating or a, a red, yellow, or green happy face. You know, we've all seen that stuff, but the whole idea there is to understand how that individual, um, how they think of you, what they think of you, how they'd rate you. You want people to be promoters of your brand instead of retractors of your brand. Um, and I think it does tie back into that culture topic we were just bringing, because I think everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to produce something they're proud of. And if you have quality assurance when it comes to that product, that service, the standards that you've set as a company, um, your staff, your team, your company should be proud of that. Um, that pride in a positive way, I think also turns into, you know, what you're putting into your corporate culture collectively. It's more of a positive vibe in the office. Um, and then it ultimately turns into your team producing a great product, whether it be the content writing that they're producing or whatever. And then eventually turns into a client that is fantastically happy with you, if that's the right way to say that. So, you know, NPS is an important way of, you know, understanding where those individuals are at. Are they happy? Are they, are they neutral? Where are they at? Are they on the verge of firing you or choosing another solution? You can be a little bit more proactive with your attrition with NPS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it is something that there's a bit of a science to it and you do have to force into place. Um, mm -hmm. There is many situations I've seen great, like phenomenally run companies that are operationally excellent. They're doing all the right things, but they just haven't built that culture for whatever reason to, you know, ask for reviews or to engage outside of that, that experience. So the customer leaves going, oh, that was great, but they're not really encouraged to go that extra step. And unfortunately we're yeah. human beings. We're all a little bit, you know, lazy to some degree. Um, now, fortunately, if you do a great job, you know, pushing somebody to give you a review or encouraging them to, you know, communicate externally about their great experience. It's easier than if a company has a bad experience with a customer and making them do the same, they're not going to. So, uh, you know, it's not an excuse not to do good work, but it is definitely something you need to encourage to happen in your culture. Right. And I mean, operational excellence, I think is a very broad topic and, and we could do an entire podcast on this topic. I mean, we could write a white paper on it, but, um, 
how does that tie into business modeling? I mean, does one come before the other? Is it congruent? Do you work on both simultaneously? Well, operational excellence is kind of something you, you move into as you've broken into a market. So business modeling obviously starts very broad with making sure that you have a problem to solve, that you have the capability to solve it, and that you have a market that's willing to pay for that. Mm -hmm. So if you have those three things, then you pretty much got the, the building blocks to start running a business. Then it's about refinement. And that's where we get back to things like operational excellence or yeah. you know process refinements, uh, process engineering, perhaps we'll talk about that. Um, but I mean, if you're missing any of those other things, like, you know, you can be working all day and night on producing an amazing uh, service for a problem that doesn't need to be solved. You can have an amazing, uh, you know, experience that you have with customers, but they're not willing to pay for it. Either of those things can break this discipline altogether. So you do have to have those fundamentals kind of taken care of before you can really start to focus on operational excellence. That's where business modeling comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know the big one for us is, you know, at what point do you hire another employee, right? Your, your, your capacity to produce a service um, obviously is impacting your profitability. It's impacting, you know, your scalability um, and also you're managing burnout, you know, with your staff, you know, uh, which impacts the quality of work, which impacts, you know, how happy your clients are with you. So, you know, capacity and, and all those types of things are, are very much in that world. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the topic of process engineering though, Jordan, because um, I think, you know, obviously there's process engineers as, you know, it's an actual business model, mm -hmm. but taking that lens and applying it to how you refine the, the, the large scale or even the small scale items within your business, within your marketing department or your business development team, or when you're, when you're deciding every year as to what software is you're implementing, like that lens of process engineering can do a lot of things. It can save you money. It can, it can help your, your, your business scale. There's, there's so many layers to it. Yeah. I mean, for me, this is just the way of thinking that kind of hits me the right way. You know, hits me right in the, the hearts. Um, feelings? I have, yeah, multiple feelings, uh, all of the feelings, a box of feelings, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> process engineering is like you said, uh, it's an actual discipline. It's, it's a whole field of study in universities. And traditionally it's been more associated with things like, you know, starting a factory or building a product through machinery things like that but when you apply some of the broader fundamentals of that like measurability um you know understanding the connection between one thing and another and really really getting down to that long-term refinement those yeah. are things that can be applied to business models to service operations or product development uh, that's where it comes back to the um, operational excellence side of our conversation so process engineering is is just a mindset, I guess, or a discipline you should follow um, if that's the way you want to view, view things. As, as a business ourselves, that's been kind of pretty fundamental to getting down to some of the reasons we do what we do and the ways that we've been able to create more value for our customers is by, you know, slowly, iteratively over time, paying attention to those points where there might be too much friction or where there might be something that could be done more efficiently or effectively if yeah. another individual or was moved into a different part of the process. All those questions start kind of unraveling from that, that approach. Yeah, and maybe to kind of create a real life example of what we do with that um, can kind of be looked upon in our sales cycle. You know, originally when, when we kind of created a, a sales cycle because we wanted to kind of measure where the drop off was happening, we had a very simple process. It was as simple as talk to the prospect, 
send them a proposal, walk through the proposal and follow up on the signature. It was kind of that simple. But we learned throughout that process that there was way more steps that needed to be taken um, in order to, to have a successful pipeline. So it was talking to that individual, sending them a follow-up email, sending them another email in a few days, letting them know what was coming, sending them the, the proposal, sending them the meeting invite to walk through it, you know, so on and so forth. And all those little tiny steps added up into maybe a 12-step process that um, you know, ensured that close rates were high. But more than anything, it was managing people. It was helping the individual at the other end feel taken care of. It was, it was there to ensure that we understood where they were at in that cycle. And more than anything, as a business development department, we were able to measure where the drop-offs were, what, where the um, conversion rates or, or the, the stages of going to the next phase um, were being hindered. Um, removing those roadblocks. And we were able to look at new softwares. We were able to make decisions with staffing. We were able to do all these different things just because we broke down the pipeline, we like to call it, into more steps and we measured it and it became a lot more efficient, a lot more productive. And it's, again, not all about efficiency. The, <clears throat> those, those steps can be interactions, right? They're, a, they're an opportunity yeah. quite often to add value, to improve mm -hmm. the knowledge of the customer. So something as simple as booking the next meeting becomes an opportunity to communicate something new to them or to mm -hmm. ask for more clarity or to give them a link to something that's going to be useful at that point. Yep. Yeah. So yep. those, those little process improvements um, iteratively add up to something pretty significant where, yeah. you know, in the end, if you do enough of them, compare it to anybody else that hasn't done even a fraction of that and you're in a whole other ball game as far as how yeah. the customer perceives you. Well, and you know, even having that lens of process engineering makes you start asking the question like, how can we actually implement that lens? You know, do I have a CRM? <laughs> that, you know, how many businesses do we talk to where they don't even have that, right? Let alone, how are they measuring the 11th of the 12th step? So, hmm. you know, making sure that you're looking at it through that lens um, we'll start, uh, you know, we'll enable you to start seeing other areas of the business that maybe red flags are popping up that you never saw before because the lens you were looking at was a little bit, I don't know, pink, green or whatever that <laughs> lens was. <laughs> yeah, I've always kind of looked at it like flipping over rocks just to see what's underneath sometimes. Um, you know, even when you're first starting a uh, business, the, you know, tendency, if, especially if you're going into a developed industry, like you're going to be entering a market that already has other players in it. You might yeah. have an innovative idea, but, uh, you know, you're going into a system that already exists and it's really easy to fall into the trap of just believing in the Kool-Aid of what everybody else mm. is doing. Um, sometimes it's worthwhile to go even right back to the beginning, strip it down to the beams and go, okay, well, what is it that we're really doing here? Just because they're doing it one way doesn't mean that that's the right way. So, you know, you have people like Elon Musk, of course, who really focus on things like first principles theory. Um, I, I like that idea too. That's one way to look at it. But you're really rethinking fundamentals sometimes that can be, you know, if, you, if you're able to build a value from the ground and expand from there, it's gonna be far more impactful in its breadth of value than if you're, you know, coming in halfway up the chain and adding value at that point. Yeah, I mean, most industries have been around for a long period of time, right? Unless there was some massive disrupt, disruptor in the market. Um, you know, like, let's look at web development for a very simple topic. It's a commoditized industry. You can go and have a website in 30 minutes 
for free if you really wanted to. It, the average Joe can buy a domain and drag and drop a website together. Um, but when you get to the more you know, custom built, you know, enterprise level websites, that process hasn't changed a lot in a number of years. You know, you go through a wireframing phase, you go through a design phase, you know, you might have an industry or, or an agency that goes, well, we bake in content writing into every project because it's, you know, the biggest cause of delay or whatever. But overall, it's a pretty simple process. Um, but when you take it, um, when you, like you say, you want to flip over the rocks, we're constantly flipping over the rocks in that process. We're trying to figure out where can we get more value for the customer? How can we more, be more transparent? How can we take, you know, a 12 week process and make it 11? How can we make sure that, you know, um, the client by the end of the process is absolutely excited to move to the next phase of their marketing mix? Um, I think that lens, the operational um, excellence kind of lens, I, I think I think it's essential in today's market, especially when there's so much innovation happening in the world. Yeah, and it really gets down to one thing that I'm I'm always balancing being a little frustrated about and passionate and like energized about is that as a business owner or you know a principal or if you're a CEO of a company, you know, you wake up every morning and you've got a million things in front of you to work on or to put your attention to. You mean emails? It's, yeah, emails, to-do lists, <laughs> you know, staff calling you up with a random question. You're always, you know, the person that is a go-to for a whole bunch of different subject matters. So, you know, a lot of roads lead to you. So it ends up being very difficult to find the time to focus on these things. And for me personally, if I was able to dedicate 100% of my time on these type of modeling things, process engineering, et cetera, making our business better, you know, that kind of adage of, you know, work on the business, not in the business, that is a challenge. It's an ongoing challenge. And, you know, someone that I struggle with, Chris, same thing. We, you know, it, it's worth the time though. So if I was giving any advice in this, what I have learned over time is it is something you need to kind of schedule in and kind of dedicate time to do this. If you're not going to, it will get eaten up by something else. And these are the things that are going to give you competitive advantage, keep you in the market longer, make you more valued by your customers, make you more money. So those types of, you know, narrowed down 20 minutes here, an hour there, you know, if you can find a morning a week or something, um, the more and the merrier as far as how it's going to exponentially improve everything else you're doing. The trick is, you know, putting all those other distractions or those other secondary priorities to the side for a moment going, okay, yes, I'll get to you, but this is important. It really, really is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of business leaders that are out there. We've, we've all heard of them. There's, there's books out there like traction with EOS and lean and all these things. And, um, these are business models or things you can apply to your business model, um, that are all there to help you. But back to what you were just saying, Jordan, if you are not pausing your day to focus on, um, you know, what do, what do we always say? We always say the, um, the mechanic drives the worst car, right? Like take care <laughs> yeah. of yourself, put the mask on yourself before you put it on anyone else. And you'll end up finding that your business goes a lot further. You'll help and change a lot of people's lives. Um, a lot more consistently, you'll bring a lot more sustainability to your business. Um, and I don't know if you found this Jordan, but you know, really scheduling and implementing these things brings a lot of peace for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not running around and being frantic and chasing my tail because I, I'm now able to look down the road a lot further and know what's coming. Um, so yeah, there's, there's the, the word of the day, put the mask on yourself first. 
I like that as a kind of, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that that's a pretty clean way of actually addressing that problem or, or clarifying it. Um, you know, just to kind of give one other layer on that, as much as I'm encouraging people to go and, and do this and dedicate time, I do know that the next question that often comes up for a lot of people is, well, I'm not a strategist. I, you know, I, I started this business because I was passionate about it. You know, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what the first steps are. You know, to be honest, there's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of books you can follow. Like we mentioned earlier, the lean, you know, as a model you can follow. There's a whole bunch of different ways and methodologies you can, you can get started into this. But I, I think the best thing is to eliminate any excuses. So step one, get a pen in your hand. Step two, put yourself in front of a whiteboard and just wait, you know, put yourself in an awkward position to just clean your brain out and think of something. There's no wrong answers. If you get this wrong on a whiteboard, just erase it. Try again. Um, you know, ask better questions, ask a lot of whys. Um, you know, why do we do it this way? Oh, we do it this way. Well, why do we do it that way? Well, because of this. Well, why is that? And you know, you'll find that either you're justifying what you're doing, and in the end, maybe that is the right way to go about it. You can move on to the next problem, or maybe you'll stumble across something that changes your business completely, and that's that's why it's worthwhile doing that. Wise words from Jordan Wolf. I'm I'm curious to hear what Matt has to say about these topics. You know, he's. Um, I always joke every time we have have our have our our dinners or our lunches because um, he's he thinks like an engineer, but he's not one at all. Um, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him if he has a whiteboard and he just stands in front of it, you know, and just, you know, sees his own reflection or if he actually doodles on there. It'll be interesting to see how he kind of, you know, solves these challenges. Excellent. As long as he uses the right color, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, never go into your, um, your, you know, into a, a room of whiteboards with your business partner and have the same idea at the same time and expect it to be color coordinated when one person writes just in black. And, you know, I wonder who did that in this. Yeah. Backstory on that real quick. I know we're eating up time here, but, um, you know, one of the most aggravated arguments we've ever had in front of like the staff in, a, in 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 our own collaborative room which has a glass window so the rest of our staff on the other side of it watching to us be clear kind of doing some brainstorming it was during lunch and we were all very hungry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh but but chris and i are, are working away and thinking about i forget even what problem we were working on but um you know i was i was like aha and i had a eureka moment i started writing it down on the board and Chris was just getting angrier and angrier and going like, you're using the wrong colors, <laughs> different color pen at me. Uh, well, I had the whatever. exact same epiphany at the exact same time. And I was, I turned and I started writing on the board, um, on the other board. And I, I looked to my left and you were doing the exact same thing. And I went, well, we don't both need to write it down. So I erased mine and thought, I'll just shout out my opinion, my thoughts as you were doing it. But I like color. I wanted a green and a blue and a red and color court. Yeah. Anyways, Nobody cares about this story, but our staff saw us yelling at each other for <laughs> mom and dad are fighting. <laughs> so, well, well on I'm that looking note, forward to our guest next. Yeah, yeah let's uh, let's throw it over to the interview and uh, see what Matt has to say about color coordinating and whiteboards. <laughs> Starts whenever you want now. All right, so we're back with our guest Matt Rudolph. So Matt joins us uh, as a friend of the podcast, hopefully, or soon to be, and uh, he comes from a customer service and sales manager background at Alberta Carpet and Furnace uh, Cleaning, and that's an Alberta-based business where he's spent 
about 20 years in a variety of roles, uh, working and overseeing a variety of changes in mostly process innovation, uh, things like CRMs or uh, process automations that have helped that business really innovate and grow as a dominant player in the market. So we welcome Matt to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Well, I know that uh, Chris and yourself know know each other a little bit more than, than I, I do. Um, we just met off off camera here, but uh, Chris mm-hmm. and you go a little ways back. So, you know, uh, thanks for joining us on this crazy journey of the Challenge Tunity podcast. That is, uh, what I don't know what episode this will be, but uh, it's in the single digits still. So early days. Excellent. Yeah, we're pioneering. We're pioneering here. We don't, we don't even know what we're doing, but it's working. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how you began your last podcast? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> earlier we, uh, Chris and I had an opportunity to talk about a, a bunch of different topics and, you know, it's, it's fitting that you're coming in having more of a focus mm-hmm. on operations and, and innovation on that side of the business. Cause that's some of the things we were talking about, operational excellence, business modeling, uh, even how that really starts with what you might need to focus on as a business owner or innovating in a competitive environment. So maybe we'll touch on some of those things from your experience, and that might be a good kind of place to start off. Um, you know, improving customer experience in a service-based business. So you're in the uh, carpet and furnace cleaning business. That's very, you know, customer service-based. That mm-hmm. that doesn't get more customer service-based than that. In fact, I think if you were to be stereotypical about a customer service business, that would probably be at the top of the list. Um so finding ways to innovate and you know improve your operational excellence must be both challenging and exciting at the same time. Um, you know, how are some of the ways that, that you've approached that in the past with with this business? Yeah, um, you know, one of the biggest things that we really like to do is um, just try and put ourselves into the customer's shoes and think. Um, if, if I was them, you know, how would I want to be treated? How would I want mm. to? Uh, how would I want my experience to go? Um, and, and and that definitely drives a lot of our decisions in in how we just uh, take care of them to make sure that at the end of the day that we've got happy customers because that's what uh, that's what ultimately we're selling you know it's not there there's there's a lot of services out there like plumbing for instance when when a plumber cleans out the drains at your home and leaves it's like yeah I hope we don't have to see you again uh, you didn't want to have to spend that money we're we're a feel good service so the experience mm. matters that much more because people don't have to get this done. It's something they go, I want to do this to take care of my, my home, uh, for my health, for, you know, just general, the feeling of, of my, my dwelling. And, uh, uh, I feel that we ultimately sell happiness because that's, that's that feeling you get. you like, when you get in your car after you've cleaned it, right. It feels so good. And, uh, same thing when you come home from, uh, you know, and then the carpets are freshly cleaned or the furnace, it, it feels great. So. I'm glad you kind of approached that subject that way, because I think there's a lot of businesses that struggle with the fundamental value that they provide for a customer. So, you know, I I use the example sometimes when we're consulting for clients of, you know, what's the value is the question, but the way they might approach that is like, well, I don't know, I I sell shoes, I produce shoes, the shoes is the value. But, you know, we look at models like Walmart, well, they sell products, sure, but their value is availability of a variety of products at a cheap cost, you know, those types of things are you know, subtle changes to, to how you view business, but they're the things that drive your value over time and your differentiation. Um, so when you're trying to maximize that value, and as you said, like you're more on the 
<laughs> positive side of it. You're not, you're not problem solving, <laughs> like putting out a fire, but you are improving someone's life in a lot of ways. How are you approaching maximizing that value over time? Is, is this something you follow strict, you know, models like lean we were talking about earlier, anything like that? Mm. Um, lean has absolutely become a big essential part of, of what we do. Um, you know, like, and lean is funny. The definition of lean is a set of management practices that improve efficiency and effectiveness by eliminating waste. That to me, when I read it, it just sounds like a whole bunch of words and it's like, wow, mm. buzzwords. Um, totally. but Paul Akers, uh, who wrote a uh, book, two second lean, which is just fantastic. I'd highly recommend it to anybody. Um, you can get it for free, even like you can get a, a PDF copy for free, just Google Paul Akers, two second lean, and you can find it. Um, and it, it is, it is just what, what I really like is that he says, um, that, uh, leans about changing your thinking. It's the art of seeing waste, you know, um, it, it it's, it's, yeah, the art of seeing waste and changing your thinking. The number of times he says lean thinking, like I have underlined every time I would read lean thinking <laughs> in the book, because it's not about lean, it's about lean thinking. Yeah. And so we like to um, to think in a lean way and add value. And, you know, what is value? Anything the customer's willing to pay for, you know, mm. ultimately, what are they willing to pay for? What are they, what are they actually buying? What's the value? Uh, so many decisions that so many companies make, it's like, uh, nope, sorry, that's our policy. That's, and like, I hate hearing that. I absolutely hate as a consumer, uh, what my customers feel like if constantly it's just policy, this policy, that, you know, what's in it for me as a, as the business. No, they mm -hmm. want to know what's in it for me as a consumer. So yeah. is there value? Um, mm -hmm. what are they willing to pay for? I mean, there, there's always certain things like legal requirements and, and stuff like that, 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 uh, just has to be done. But beyond that, uh, just asking the question, does this add value for the customer? Um, right. It could be as simple as, you know, it could be implementing um, uh, bl moving blankets. You know, we like to use moving blankets in, in the homes to cover the floors. Uh, so when our hoses come in there, that, that we're um, taking care yeah. of their home. Uh, are they willing to pay for that or not, right? <laughs> so thinking about those things in, in all the dis different decisions that we make, I think is hugely yeah. important. Well, I think, you know, when we talk about the service industry too, we, we forget that a lot of the time we're talking about, you know, return business. And usually it's not a second time, it's a third or fourth. We're actually talking about a lifetime value. So, you know, the small little things where you're making sure that, you know, all that you're cleaning the carpets for them, you're not damaging, you know, the baseboards or, you know, you're not leaving the place with problems. Like we, we all hear about movers who came in, did their job, but they did it in such a way that damaged, you know, five or six things they moved. How have you guys as a service provider kind of looked at your customer as a return base or repeat customer, looked at their lifetime value and kind of reverse engineered um, the actual service that you provide to ensure that they do become a repeat customer? Well, there's definitely a few things that we've done. Um, one of them being adding those value components I talked about earlier, um, being blankets, corner guards, uh, something at the door, seal a door. Uh, that that was one. That's one part for sure. The second part is, you know what? At the end of the day, we aren't robots. We didn't hire robots. We we are humans. We have people who work for us, people who go mm -hmm. out and do a fantastic job. And what we really try and instill in the customers is the intent behind what we've done. Uh, do we make mistakes? You bet we do. Do we occasionally bump a wall, damage something? Yeah, that happens. 
Um, I think one of the biggest measures of a company isn't if they make a mistake or not, because any company that has humans is going to make a mistake. Um, what, what one of the biggest measures is, is how they take care of it. You know, like, what do they mm -hmm. actually do? Um, yeah. Do they do they own it? Do they take care of the customer? Um, or do they just kind of go, nah, no, you know what? Sorry about that. That's, you know, and wash your, their hands of it. Uh, I mean, these days you do that kind of thing and, uh, that's a negative Google review. And then what does the, what's the cost of that? Right. Some people don't yeah. think, um, they don't think of that. I, I like to talk about whether, um, whether you're correct or right. Uh, sometimes you're correct, um, about what happened, but you're not right in yeah. how you deal with it. So yeah. it's like, yeah, sometimes you, you can be correct as a business, uh, but it's not always the right thing to do. So trying to do the yeah. right thing, uh, hugely important to just continually keep the customers coming back so that they, it's just a service that they can trust. Wisdom with Matt Rudolph. <laughs> well, I, I picked think, up a few uh, things you, over the years. <laughs> <laughs> we even talked earlier, I, I think that you, you mentioned reviews and how important those are. Like we're, we're really talking about as experiences when, especially in a service-based business, like the, the customer experience elements, whether they're positive or negative, those are points of either friction or maybe a problem happened. And you do the best you can in the moment to resolve that in the most mutually beneficial way, in a way that's honest, like you said. Um, but even then, there's this moment afterwards to reflect on that and go like, well, what happens if this scales to a thousand? You know, like, what if I had the same problem over and over again? You know, is there a permanent <laughs> fix for this? And that, that's where operational change kind of comes back into play, where, you know, pivoting in the moment is one thing, but what are the lessons learned? And um, obviously, this podcast is called Challenge Tunity. It's it's kind of like turning an opportunity um, in, you know, taking an opportunity to turn a bad thing into a good thing in a way. In Lean, that's called uh, continuous improvement. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're going to just constantly try to to um, improve on things and and look at them and go, okay, um, how could we how could we make this better? You want to, you know, uh, we like to ask five whys, right? Uh, first problem, you know, first first thing when you have any kind of problem is to go, let's resolve this for the customer. You know, uh, yeah. in your guys' case, it could be a problem with a website. Well, let's get that fixed right away. Once it's fixed, once the, once whatever is, you know, is resolved for them, uh, how did that happen? And go through the journey of, of not blaming, not finger pointing, but where was the failure in process or system that caused that to occur so that we can prevent that from happening a thousand times, right? If... if, if mm. Because, the, yeah, that, that just becomes very costly. Mm -hmm. We also talked earlier about, um, you know, finding ways to carve out the time to do this as a discipline. Now, software can play a role in this. Models can play a role in this. We talked about Lean already. Um, uh, you know, EOS is also a, a kind of operational connection off of that. Um, you know, how do you make sure that you're keeping this discipline going? Like, if it's, if it's not built into your role... If you were another business manager, like how, how would you, you know, make sure that you're looking at these business innovations and iterating over time? You've got to structure some things. Uh, tools like EOS have, um, what I really like is that they're, they're like anything, right? They're, they're a system um, rather than just happening to you. Uh, rather than, you know, do you come into work every day and just be like, well, wonder what today's going to give me? Or do you come yeah. in with, with a bit of structure? Um, yeah. You know, entrepreneurial operating system and, and traction uh, have absolutely helped us with, with trying to bring structure. You know, how many meetings have you sat in where <laughs> you spend an hour and at the end of that hour, it's like you walk away having agreed upon something, but did you really? What, 
you know, who's accountable for what? Uh, and then the next week you meet again and, and one, two, three, not it, right? Like nobody, yeah. nobody did that. Yeah. Uh, so when you start to put that into place, when you start to put, put traction in place and, and you walk out of a, a structured meeting with an agenda, with accountability, it changes, you know, it really changes when, when you get back together again. Um, the, the, the other part is to really, yeah, and, and traction talks about the right people in the right seats. Um, mm-hmm. that thank you for helps. bringing that up. <laughs> that helps massively, right? Like as, as a, as a leader in the business, uh, I can't be everywhere at, at, at once. Um, I like to tell the people in the call center that, that I really, um, my job isn't to talk to the customers on the phone. I, I avoid it, not because I can't or won't or, or don't. If, if I have to, by all means, I'm going to take a call from a customer, but I want them to be able to do it. I want them to feel empowered and be able to take care of that because yeah. there are things in here. There are systems and processes and, and failures mm-hmm. that we've got to look at and ask those five whys and dedicate that time to to improving. So by them, you know, by me not having to deal with, with uh, a, a, a spot that didn't come out of a carpet because yeah. the the agent can, because they're empowered to just take care of what needs to be done, yeah. then it gives me the time to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, what I really love about it is, is uh, I think the, mo- the biggest thing about that, that right people in the right seat is GWC. Get it, want it, and capacity. That is just mm-hmm. a huge part of, of what I felt was really important that we, we took away from that, that uh, book and, and really have begun to implement that. I think it's time that I reread Traction. Um, it's, <laughs> it's one of those books that I have on my desk you know, um, or beside my somewhere desk. behind me on the shelf up there. <laughs> it probably is. Um, mm. It, it right seems here. like everybody bought a copy of it a couple of years ago and, you know, read it really quickly. But, you know, it's it's I mean, there's implementers around the world even. I mean, it's there's a career path carved out for it. Um, mm-hmm. I love that you brought up the topic of like, you know, staffing and equipping people, empowering people um, and, you know, tying that into carving out the time to be able to actually work on the business instead of being in it. I think also brings us to the topic of systems, automations, because if we're running around doing meaningless tasks that can be automated or implementing automations for things like tasks to equip people to know when they have to do something, um, efficiency. There's even over automation, I'm sure, is also the the opposite side of that challenge. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, just knowing you personally, Matt, you are just the way that you process things, you, you think like an engineer, you map things out in your brain, you, you, you always want to tweak and refine things. Um, you know, and giving your experience over the last 20 odd years, I mean, how have you guys used automations and systems and softwares? Um, I'd imagine it's insane. Mm, it, it sure can be, absolutely. Um, I, I like to always start simple. Uh, start, oftentimes I start with paper because you just don't know what you're looking for and you've got to figure that along the way so you've got to be very intentional about it not just not just putting together a paper system and then and then setting and forgetting but going do you, do you ever okay. stand in front of a whiteboard by chance <laughs> I a occasionally stand up. absolutely how many colors do you use uh, uh you know what i buy those packages with like 10 different colors from uh from amazon so i can use yeah. as many as possible there you go yeah. okay we just we needed to settle something continue matt it drove me crazy a few years back how i was only getting the like black red green maybe brown or something there was like or and blue that was it right those packages i was like no the expo markers i'm buying 
Yes. Yeah. No, I need the package with all the different colors. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, you know, like you can start with paper, you can start with whiteboards, you can start with, you know, uh, and, and it's got to begin to then evolve and begin to think about, about the different steps along the way and then slowly implement and, and look back and go, okay, did that work or not? Did that work or not? Um, we've done that with our CRM. We've done that with email. We've done that with, I mean, there's a, an absolute ton of processes, um, that we've begun to, to automate. It was funny, actually, I, I've done, I've done a ridiculous amount of trials, uh, for CRMs, like the the um, you can try for free for 14 days or whatever and then done gotten the demos from the companies and just recently I did this I got this demo on the a CRM that's kind of a field service CRM mm. and I asked him about one of the things we like to do is we like to phone our customers back after after a, a certain period of time to remind them that it's time to get cleaned again and I asked him about being able to provide these lists out of this CRM and he said oh yeah yeah there's a report for that. I said, so you mean to tell me that each month I'll have to, or however often I want, I need to pull a report, export the report, and, you know, all these manual steps? Like, like yeah. no. I, I used to do that 10 years ago with our CRM, but not anymore, <laughs> right? Like, it's got to automatically populate a list in order to, like, there's some logic to this that can be pretty yeah. simple. I think one of the biggest things is dedicating a little bit of time to, to figuring out your logic. And people don't give enough time to that. They just kind of go, oh, yeah, 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 here we go. We'll do this thing. And then it doesn't work. And they go, oh, okay, well, I'm, uh, I'm yeah. not going to do that ever again. And we'll just rely yeah. on our old system. Um, but, uh, I mean, I just couldn't believe that in this day and age, that was a software as a service provider, yeah. that they're telling me, run a report. Well, and it's funny with softwares, too, because you have off-the-shelf softwares that are going to get you 85% of the way there. And then if the 15% is that essential to your business and it makes that mm. much more of difference in your revenue or whatever, then you just have to go custom. And, but the great news is that yep. as time goes on, the word custom is fewer and farther between. Um, mm -hmm. and it's costly. It's just so expensive. Um, some people I know buy it, Trust with, me. you know, a lunch, but, um, you know, most, most <laughs> businesses don't have that benefit, Matt. Um, well, you're talking about, <laughs> yeah. The up, the upkeep is a much more expensive. Yes, yeah. that's for sure. Yes, it is. I know that there was there was a period of time we were looking for a project management software, and I was I was heading that up at the time, and you know I was going through platform after platform after platform, and I was just looking for four things, and all of them would do this one and this one, but not that one, and you know <laughs> all of them had three of the four, but never all four of the four, and I was gradually pulling my hair out and surprised my my hair ended up losing that battle, so, uh, and oh, we just kind of took a step back and go, okay, well maybe we need two tools or something like that, and. You know, mm -hmm. you just have to reevaluate the problem. Sometimes the technology is great and sometimes it's just not there yet for whatever reason. Well, I find with CRMs, back to your point, Matt, um, reporting is actually the biggest concern on my side. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the reporting, the data analysis, the ability to see stuff in dashboards, customized dashboards, mm -hmm. um, enable you to do things, right? You can pivot quickly. You can, you know, make decisions or monitor things over a period of time. Um, and if you don't have that stuff, especially if it's not in front of you all the time, you're just not going to see it and it'll become something that, you know, dies away like the dodo bird kind of thing. Like it just be, doesn't become part of your day to day. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of us understand just the overall idea of why data and analysis is important, but 
for you in the service industry and, and for our viewers who don't know this, um, maybe you just never heard of Alberta carpet cleaning. You're not exactly a small business. You are the leader period in the industry. Um, you can, can't go a day without seeing your trucks drive around the city or whatever the case might be. And you guys are expanding, you know, uh, hopefully maybe it's a little bit secret, but hopefully expanding across the country. Who knows if maybe we'll have to edit that out. But, um, for you in the service mm -hmm. industry, how has data analysis impacted you? And second question of that, ha has there been a moment where data has been a waste or there's just too much or you're caught, you know, there's a, a scenario of uh, analysis paralysis. This, uh, this could, I'm telling you, this could probably be a whole podcast in itself. Um, Let's do it. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately without data, how the hell do you make decisions? Yeah. Um, feelings lie. Data doesn't, you know, uh, Peter, we Drucker need to make said, a well, gets... challenge to t-shirt with that on it, Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Feelings I was hoping you were going to mention Peter doesn't. Drucker. That, that is the quote. Go for it. Yeah. What's good. What gets measured gets managed. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is just, uh, I get reminded of that sometimes, right? Like I, I sometimes forget about it and got to be reminded. And, and it's, you know, to me, like a KPI, they're like a speedometer without them. How do you know how fast you're going? You know, you yeah. can feel you're going a certain speed, but do you really know? Not until the cop pulls you over and tells you your speed and you're like, oh, I didn't think I was going that fast or that slow or whatever, right? Like you don't know. So yeah. that's, you know, data is just so, so essential. There are, there are, um, there's countless things that it, it's just endless. The, the countless things that we go through every day with looking at data. And I think there's, there's a couple of really important things to it. One is gathering it, analyzing it, understanding it. This, the, the, the second, well, part with understanding it is, is, um, how do you go about understanding that? Uh, we're having a fantastic, um, thing that we're doing right now with some people who were, were, uh, some leaders, newer leaders were training, training up. And I have made a, uh, report card, kind of scorecard, and it gets manually, it, it manually gets filled out. There's a bunch of calculations that occur, but the data that gets input into it manual because that is forcing them to, uh, look at the data, understand the data better, think about the data. And it's very different than just getting uh, a dashboard showing up that yeah. shows everything. I think a dashboard is absolutely essential as well, but during that understanding, you've got to be able to, to um, know where the numbers come from, not just like, oh yeah, this is this kind of a number or that kind of a number, right? You got to know where yeah. it comes from. So um, there's there's reams of data that we have and for many years, there was um, a lot of things were being captured and you got to, it, it goes right back to lean. What's the value? <laughs> What's the value of that data? Um, and, and can there be, you know, you asked, can there be waste in data? Absolutely. An absolute ton of it. Why are you tracking it? You know, why are you yeah. measuring that specific thing? If you're filling out a web, if you're getting it from a web form and a customer prospect if they're filling it out, um, the waste could be for them. Why are you capturing that piece of information? Is it necessary? Do you need it? Um, you want to remove struggle and make it easy for them. So why are you capturing that specific piece of information, especially if you're never going to use it, which oftentimes happens where yeah. you're just collecting so many things and you look back and you're like, well, we never really even used that data. What's the point? I mean, data storage is one thing that, that doesn't even matter these days. It's so cheap. It's yeah. all about the amount of time that's spent gathering that piece of information. There's huge mm. waste in that component right there. 
Yeah, obviously we we run a lot of analytics for our clients as an agency, digital agency. Yeah. So data data analysis is a huge part of what we we deliver it's value everything. through. Yeah, and you know you have problems like you know, focusing on this the the noise rather than the signal where you should be putting your attention. Mm-hmm. So you want you know statistically viable data sets, and you want enough time and et cetera. Like, but you can easily fall into an analysis paralysis trap as well. You know how how much focus on that is too much. Uh, how long or how many points of data do you need before you can make an informed decision on something? Those are, uh, you know, n- not hard rules. Sometimes you can, can kind of get a get a sense of where those are between the different KPIs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the it, <laughs> man Google and all the streams of data. Hey, I've looked at uh, our analytics, and and sometimes it is it is it is so much it's almost better to go well. What are the the the, the uh, I don't know. Have we gotten away from KPIs and just we have PIs now, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, because <laughs> KPI this assumes that there's what, like three, four, five, mm-hmm. not 55. There's yeah, got to be I a, guess mag- could, a Magnum li- KPI t-shirt out there. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> We're going to have a giant like meme merch store coming out of this podcast. Yeah, Just <laughs> every episode we come with three or four t-shirt ideas. Yeah, Matt's going to um, be on every second podcast because we're making a killing on our merch store. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to help. Well, I, I know that like actually bridging off of that, my, my honest answer would be that KPIs are at this point, they're a little bit dependent on what you're slicing it in from. So if you're coming from a certain department for a certain problem, there will be a KPI for that particular linear thought you're going through. And then there's a whole bunch of points in between. Um, but even looking at a business in those kind of vertical slices, are there certain departments that you find data is most useful and, and other areas, or is it pretty evenly dispersed in a business like yours? I wouldn't say it's evenly dispersed. I'd say that it's important across all departments, but mm-hmm. um, it's more important in some than, than, than others. Uh, hugely important in anything call center related. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's where we've got a lot of metrics um, there's ones that I will display, you know, there's a handful that will display up on our wall board. And then there's a whole bunch more that I'll look at the background because what I do is, you know, I always think you like to use your key ones to inform you and they're just an indicator. So it doesn't mean you did good or bad. It's just saying, Hey, you might've done good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Maybe look into this and then you go, okay, what's the story behind that number and how we got to it? what occurred was there something was there an outlier that caused a change or was it actually you know like wow yeah that person's just performing incredibly well so you know you you provide your key ones to to people in their different departments you know in in ar even um Mm -hmm. you've got your your aging um aging ar uh you could you could have a fantastic metric of of days to collect and you know that could be a really good number for them to to monitor not just the amount outstanding that's part of it too but how many days to collect okay. uh so i think that it can be used everywhere you know yeah, i know i know i know a lot of businesses that are you know hr related careers related you know they mm-hmm. rely so much on their data um you know we talk about different departments um but there's also another way to look at it you know maybe not as internally but externally in the service industry where we're looking at the buyer's journey or we're looking Mm -hmm. at you know the decision making process um 
for example, you know, in the world of marketing, we have the awareness consideration decision-making phase. Then we get into the sales department and we now have different phases of that, you know, pipeline. But I'd love to throw it back over to you to talk a little bit more about the latter part of that, the servicing part of it. So you, you sign the deal, mm-hmm. you do the job, but you know, how do we use data on the servicing part of it? Um, and like, how does that work for you guys? I'm interested to hear your take on it. Without revealing any company secrets. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, Everyone get out your notepad. I think, I think um, post-service, there's a lot of things that you can look at to, to, to go. You can look at what people were buying, uh, frequency of different, different items, uh, time between um, their service and, and their next service. Or, or, you know, like in our case, we've got... Uh, we have a customer database with, I think it now has 200 and just over 240,000 customer files. Mm. Um, so now of course there's some, uh, older data that's not as, as, as clean as now, but I can look at a customer and say, okay, what's their frequency between use? Uh, how do we maybe, uh, decrease that? And, and not just to get more customers, but to provide a better value. How can we help them to understand that, that cleaning carpets more frequently is going to help them to last longer and actually be better for, you know, like they'll have to spend less money uh, replacing the carpets. So how do we increase that frequency of use? We can look at all the reports to see what people's frequency is and why it might be that. Did we have to call? Yeah. Did we call them? Did they call us? Right. Having all of that data available to you helps you make massive decisions. You know, right now, the customer journey is actually something I'm working on mapping out using uh, a piece of software as a service, you know, um, a lucid chart uh, mm-hmm. to, to map out the journey to go, okay, what's our current state? What's our desired state? Now, here's how we're going to use data. We're going to go, mm-hmm. we're going to make a decision on a change. Uh, let that uh, ride for a couple of weeks. And then there's KPIs. When we made the decision, um, like there was one decision that we made today, and there were uh, six different KPIs that we said, okay, these are things that we need to look at over the next two weeks to measure, was this successful or not? And um, so make the change, see see what happens. Then we'll make another change, see what happens, and go along our desired state that we're creating alongside that current state, um, which will... Uh, the goal ultimately, right, is is um, for customers just to feel that they're getting value out of the service that we're offering for them, and and uh, help us to to stay in business and uh, provide uh, some fantastic um, employment opportunities for uh, a really great group of people. Well, I'm uh, really glad that we were able to cover so much. I mean, this is quite an action-packed discussion we've had in such a short period of time. We've covered things from operations through to software, KPIs, data, et cetera. And you know, for our audience, which is mostly marketing professionals, but in this case, probably more our business leaders that are the, the main focus of value here. Um, you know, I really hope we can have you back because I think this will help us to uh, go through all sorts of different subjects if this kind of flow happens this way between between us. But uh, I know uh, you, you've just joined us for the first time. Hopefully this was valuable for you as well. And um, Chris, I, I don't know if you want to. We're going to have to do all uh, this, but from the lens yeah. of AI next. <laughs> <laughs> How can we get robots to run our businesses? Yeah. <laughs> Some things, well, there's other things I don't know if we can always, we can replace, right? 
It's mm-hmm. very true. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us here today. We really do appreciate My your pleasure. time. And I do echo the same uh, thing that Jordan said. I think there's a lot of insight. And um, yeah, yeah. Good luck over as you you know continue to blitz through 2023. And thanks for sharing some of your secrets, but not all of them, because um, I'm sure all <laughs> the competitors that are listening to our podcast will try to you know, mimic them. So, Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Well, thanks for joining us again on another episode. We were able to cover quite a bit this, this day as mm. well. Um, mostly focused on business modeling, which is something I'm very passionate about. So hopefully we'll get to touch base on that topic again as we go forward. Um, and I really want to thank the community for uh, you know, joining and following us along the way. It seems like we're growing at a good clip here. So, you know, hopefully that'll continue. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, and thanks to Matt for showing up today. You know, like I've, we never had a guest just not show up when they're invited. So, you know, we're on a roll. Um, as we always say, thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you're tired of hearing us and would like to actually see what we look like, we do put this on YouTube as well. Check out all of our social medias. We're enjoying the journey and we hope that you are able to enjoy it with us. Cheers. And end scene. Finish.